how you kind of picture the world working when you read through Proverbs. You think, yes, this guy, he fears the Lord and he honors God and he blesses God and he's got this big family and they're blessed and they're, 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 God is providing for them and he's blessing them and they're celebrating. And it's just this picture of a, a great life of someone who fears God and is ended right there. And it just said, and it would be, and his family lived happily ever after. You know, but you know that's not how this story goes. And that's not how the world works. And into the book, into the story, enters Satan. And this is where we have a twist in the story. Look at verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God and Satan also came among them. Okay, when it says in verse 6, sons of God, it's talking about superhuman beings or angels. And what's happening is these angels have to report to God. God summoned them and they are coming to God that Satan on what they had been doing. And it's God as well. Satan had to report that tells us about his role. And Satan means is an uh, enemy or accuser. It's, it's an opponent. And we always think that when, when Satan is an enemy, it means that Satan is an enemy of God. But I think more accurately, Satan is an enemy to us, to Job. He's an accuser. He is uh, one who is against and opposed to Job and his life of fearing God. So Satan is there among these angels reporting to God. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, it says, The Lord and Satan answered the from where have you and said, From going to and fro on the earth, answered the Lord, walking up and down on it. The earth, read this, we assume that Satan is crashing the party, right? Like there's this meeting in heaven, the angels are coming, and we assume he's an uninvited guest. And we read verse 7, like God is asking Satan, where did you come from? Kind of like, how did you get into heaven? How did you get into this meeting with the angels? But I don't think that's actually what Satan has to report to God. Satan is under the authority of God. We know God is sovereign. God is in control of every creature and being and person that he has ever created. And Satan is a created being. He's not omnipotent. He's not all, uh, you know, all powerful. He, so if you've ever had this thought, subject to God, he's not like our, this thought that, that God and that is not true. Satan was created by God and he lives under the authority of God. This is important to the story. And so he comes and he is a part of this heavenly cabinet meeting with the angels reporting what he's doing. And we see this again in chapter 2 when he comes back. Job, he is a part of these meetings. And I love when God asks him, you know, from where have you come? It's, it's they're all reporting what they're doing. And Satan's answer is a classic teenager answer, isn't it? I mean, God says, where have you been? And Satan says, oh, you know, here, there, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, just chilling, you know, just hanging out. Like, there's no details at all to his answer. It's just complete vagueness. And so look at verse 8. So the Lord says this, verse 8. We're going to read verses 8 through 11. And the Lord, my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, 
a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Man, look at verse 11. Here's what Satan thinks. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. It's not Satan that it's God who brings God who brings not Satan who initiates that. It shows Job's character. He brings up Job. And God is God who turns away from evil. And verses 9 and 10 is an important detail because Satan basically accuses Job of only worshiping God because of the blessings that God has given him. The the possessions and the wealth, the camels and the sheep and the oxen and the donkeys and the family stuff that God has blessed him with. This This is Satan's understanding of how life works. People only worship God because of what they get out of it. Satan doesn't think that that Job, Satan thinks that Job doesn't worship God because God is worthy and holy and good, but he only worships because of what he gets out of the deal. And this is not only how Satan understands the world, how it works. This is how atheists, they look at Christians, and and you're going to come across this if you go to a university or college. You're going to come across professors that think about this. When you tell them, I believe in God and I believe Jesus rose from the dead, they're going to say, oh, that's so cute. That must bring a lot of meaning into your life. That's really good for you that you have something that, that helps you in a world like this. That's really, that this is how they think, that we only worship God because of the benefits we get, the blessings we get from it, not because he is God. So Satan thinks... It's a transaction. I I worship you. I'm good. I do what's right. And you bless me and prosper me. And that's how Satan thinks life works. And if you're not careful, that's how we can think life works as well. We can think, man, life is good. I've got a good family. You know, I'm about to get my drive. Basically good. I fear God. I go to church. I do the right thing. And God blesses me by giving me all this stuff. That's how, that's how Satan thought. That's how Job's friends think in the book of Job. That's how they think life works. And Job is an important lesson for us. And it's supplement. might think that's the way life works. I fear God. I do what's right. I'm diligent. I get up early. I work hard. And I'm always going to be blessed. And Job learns, and we need to learn, that's not how it works in this world suffering is a key component to learning that that's what we learn from why am i worshiping god suffering reveals at the root of it in god what's behind it 11 read it satan tells god take away all these blessings that you've given job you put this hedge around him he's protected take that away And Job is going to curse you to your face. He's not going to worship you. He's going to hate you because he's only worshiping you because of what he gets out of the deal. That's the accusation. This is what Christopher says. The Satan is not bullying God. 
Nor is he offering him a casual wager as though Job's sufferings were just to see who wins a bet in heaven. No, the Satan, for all his malice, is doing something necessary to the glory of God. This necessary to the glory of God. In some, he's doing his way. It is necessary for it to be publicly seen by the whole universe that God is worthy of the worship of a man and that God's worth is in no way dependent on God's gifts. Satan has a ministry, insisting that the genuineness of the believer be tested and proven genuine. It is a hostile and malicious ministry but a necessary ministry for the glory of God. Have you ever thought about that? Satan has a necessary ministry for the glory of God. The question often comes up at Brent, do evil. Why would God allow Satan? You know, why not just destroy would God allow thee? Destroy all the evil people, destroy him. Why not anything evil? And we learn here that Satan unknowingly serves God's purposes and serves for God's glory. That's going to be the result. Satan is going to be malicious and attacking and accusing and coming after us. But since God has authority over him, the glory of God in the end of time. Because he has a necessary ministry for the glory of, of God. And, and, and what he's doing is he's testing Job's faith. That's what Satan is doing. He's saying, suffer, he won't worship you. Take these things away. Make God says, go ahead. To see if Job has real faith or not. And what happens is suffering reveals the answer. Suffering reveals the answer of Job's faith. You may remember when Jesus told the parable of the sower. The man goes and he spreads the seed across the ground. And it's talking about the different soil that the seed falls in. And Jesus says... God's word goes out like seed, and some of the seed is snatched up by Satan. So it doesn't even take root because Satan snatches it up. He says some of the seed is sown among thorns, and it gets choked out by that, where people love this world and riches, and out the word of God, money, and they love possession. Some is sown on rocky ground, and it shoots up God. But a person receives it with joy, but it has no root. And when trials or persecution come, the person falls away. And what Jesus is saying is, when, when the trials come, when suffering comes, it reveals what's at the root. Are, why are they worshiping God? Why are they doing this? And, and, and that's what we see happen in the book of Job. Beginning in verse 13. In, in verse 13, this, it's, it's, we're not going to read down all the way through verse 20, but basically... It's just scene after scene after scene after scene of just horrendous suffering that happens to Alice and animosity is unleashed against him. You know, it's just another day. He's going about his life. He's blessed. He's waking up early. He's worshiping God. And then all of a sudden, a, 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 one of his servants runs into his house and says, enemies have attacked. And they have destroyed your livestock and your servants. And they're all and he says, you know, fire fell from the sky, which is a common language in the Old Testament for lightning. 
Fire fell from heaven and it destroyed the sheep and the servants. It was supernatural. It just came and it destroyed all of them. And then another servant comes and it says another enemy, another group of enemies attacked. And they killed all the king's servant. Job has been banked. And basically what's happened is health is gone like that. It's destroyed. Bankrupt. All insurance back then, you know, there's no camel and shoy. There's no, it is gone. There's no filing a claim. Job is wiped out in a moment. And finally, it says one more servant came. Daughters were celebrating together. And a great wind, a tornado came and it collapsed the house and killed them all. It's like the tornadoes that came through Mississippi this past week. You know, I think it was 25 people killed. A tornado just comes through out of nowhere and all of Job's family after tragedy are gone. As you imagine, we read this after tragedy. It's actually just trying to wrap my mind this. And I've been thinking about it. Read the Old Testament. They can sound like such a story we grow, grow up hearing. Just put, your, put yourself in his place for just a moment and try to imagine the suffering. I know you probably saw um, the shooting in Nashville at the Christian school that happened this week. That was a daughter of one of the pastors there. And I was thinking about it today, just going... Man, that family, what are they going through right now? You know, they send their daughter to school. She's in school for the day. And she's been murdered. In the phone call they received that said she's back. Take that, think of murder. She's been shot. You know, to state this week, think about that family. That just happened. That's what happened to Job in one day. All of your children, all your sons, seven sons, three daughters, they're all gone. Everything you have, all your wealth, all your children, everything is taken away in one day. It is unimaginable, the suffering. Suffered like Job. Nobody except for one man, Jesus Christ, is the only one who suffered more than Job. And look how Job responds in verse 20. This is the point of the book. Verse 20. It says, And then Job arose, and tore his robe. I mean, his clothes. He just tears it off. And he shaves his head. And he fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be. Doesn't know what happened in heaven. He didn't know that Satan had come. He didn't know that God was the one who said, have you considered my servant Job? Knowing what Satan would do to Job and his family, God initiated that. God introduced his, him as a topic. Job didn't know any of that. All he knew it is wiped out in a day. And Job blesses the Lord. He worshiped God. Satan said, that God would take away all these things, that Job would curse him. He would curse God to his face. He would renounce God as his creator. He would turn from work. Instead of pointing a finger at God and cursing him, he bows down to the earth and he worships God and says, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I tell you, it's in 
the pages of the Bible. It's been talked about for thousands and thousands of years because it proved God is worthy of worship just for being. He alone, God is worthy of our worship. When we have trials, when things alone is God. And when we go through suffering and we turn around and we happen to us in the name of the Lord. Everybody recognizes there is a God and he is worthy of worship. Not because of the gifts that he gives, but just because he is God. And it's so important that you learn this lesson as a teenager because you are going to suffer. Suffered. There's ways that you are being tested. You know, they may seem small or large. It might mean um, losing something you really enjoy. It might be, for some of you, I know you've lost loved ones and family persecuted. It might be, be losing a friendship or friend and then or someone turning against you who you thought was a, that sense of loss. And then all of a sudden they become your enemy and have you things that happen to us. But the key biblically is it shows what's at the root. Do I have faith in God? Do I worship God because he is worthy of praise? Or do I worship God because I have these friends right here? And if I lose these friends, well, I'm not going to worship God anymore. It reveals our heart. It says as well, this is 1 Peter. This is where we're going to land tonight. 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 7. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That, that term right there, I studied it one time. Various trials. It's kind of all-encompassed. Sickness and loss that we feel in life been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor that we be tested. And what's, what he says is your faith is more valuable than gold. It's more valuable than that possession that you lose. It's more valuable than that friendship that you lose. It's more valuable than your health, than your physical well-being. Your faith is more valuable than gold. This is what matters in the what suffering reveals in God. Our lives. How do you know? How reveals in if you really love God. How do you know if you how do you know love God because he is God? Well, you find out when those things are taken away and we see how we respond. Do we curse God? Do we blame God? Or do we turn around and say, the name of the Lord. It reveals our faith. This is the necessary ministry Satan has for the glory of God. And I think this happens over and over. I think Satan thinks, I'm going I'm to undo them. I'm going to accuse God because suffer and they're going to renew in them and people because they're only worshiping because of trials and they lose love. people suffer they come in here and they praise God and they say blessed be the name of the Lord and it's a testimony to everybody I love how Christopher Ash says it's a testimony to the whole universe that God is worthy of praise simply because he is God and it's good to learn this lesson now as a two people suffer. You want to learn now. You want to study Job and say this is the reason why. This is wisdom for life. We're learning fear God. Turn away from evil. 
you know, be diligent, have self-control, work hard, all of these things, and you're going to do all those things, and you're going to think, because I'm doing all these things, I'm going to get all these blessings from God, and one day it's going to show, are you worshiping God simply because He is God? And I want to finish tonight with a video. I've never done this before. I don't know if I'll ever do this again. It's about seven minutes long, but it's a testimony of Johnny Erickson Tata. She shares it in about seven minutes. Now, I was going to read it to you guys, but I thought, you know, it's going to be more powerful just to hear it. Millions of people around the world have looked at this woman and said, man, there is a God because she worships him. She loves him. She praises him. She has been through unimaginable suffering, chronic pain for over 40 years, and she loves God. She wrote a book that I read to my family called The God I Love. Uh, well, it's called The God I Love. It's all about how much she loves the Lord. So I want you to learn from this woman and her testimony. So you can go ahead and, and show that video. I grew up in a very athletic family, tennis, horseback riding. My earliest memories of um, hearing about the God of the Bible, though, and Dad, hearing stories of Noah, David, Moses, Daniel. But God really, really, he, he really wasn't very personal. All that changed, though, when I was a 14-year-old kid, went away on a kind of a church weekend retreat. And I was challenged by the speaker. He said, kids, I want you to measure your lives up against the Ten Commandments. I stole anything. I had never committed adultery or... But it didn't matter as I measured my life. thing in a big way, but I one by one. Oh, I up against those commandments that I'm missing the mark. I'm not going to make it. Oh, God, help me. It troubled me at first that God gave us a bunch of commandments that he knew very well we couldn't keep. But then it hit me at that weekend. He was the one who obeyed the law, even though I didn't and even though I couldn't. I was only 14, but um, I was able to reach out right then and embrace Jesus and say, I, I need you. I, 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 I want to make it out of earth alive, and you're my only passport, so please. Well, I came home great all fired up, all pumped, all excited, um, the enthusiasm. But then um, through high school, especially when I started confusing of what I had done, began life with a great American dream. My prayers were so self-centered, like, uh, God, help me to lose weight. God, I need a new boyfriend. God, give me good grades on this test. Unfortunately, I guess I thought I had done God a great big favor by accepting Jesus as my savior. And I remember right around my senior year of high school, I prayed, Lord, I don't want to go off to college and defame your good name, smear your reputation. I know it's about far more than just me, so do something in my life to jerk it right side up because I'm really living this life wrong. Just a few weeks after high school graduation, beach for a swim, I swam out to this raft athlete that I was, I didn't even touch bottom, hoisted myself up onto it and then took this really stupid dive into what ended up being extremely shallow water. I snapped my head back when I hit bottom and it crunched my fourth cervical vertebrae, severing my spinal cord, lying face down in the water. Desperately hoping that my sister Kathy would please notice that I had not surfaced from my dive. Unbeknownst to me, her back was turned to me. She didn't even see me take that dive. But a crab bit her toe. And 
and it so startled her that she quick turned around in the water screaming to me, Johnny, watch out for crabs. His face down, ready to drown, floating on the surf. He came swimming quickly, pulled me up out of the water. And I never, I never was so grateful for fresh air. She saved me, but for what purpose, for what reason? Because now, lying there in a hospital, doctors told me I were plegic without use of my legs or, or even my hands. My hands don't work. And I remember thinking, God, is this, is this your idea of an answer to a prayer to be drawn closer to you? If it is, you're never going to be trusted with another one of my prayers again. I mean, I'm a new Christian. How could you have taken me so seriously? I sank into deep depression. Christian friends who came to the hospital. I, I remember there were one Bible verse they shared hospital and the 89 verse 11 where shared was from Jeremiah. Plans I had for you. Plans not to harm you, but to help you. Plans to prosper you and to give you a hopeful future. God, you, you mean you plan not to harm me? Well, what do you call quadriplegia, huh? What's that text around it? I realized something, that when God said that, he was saying it to his children who were being dragged away into captivity by, by the Babylonians. They were going to exile, they were going into slavery. They had decades in front of them of hard, awful plans for And I began to see that was not necessarily for a hopeful future for me. It's running, walking, getting back use of my, jumping up, dancing. God's plans for me go far deeper, a deeper healing, a precious healing of the soul. Because as I was pushed into the arms of God every morning, and that's the truth, even to this day, don't be thinking I'm an expert at quadriplegia, but as it was then in the hospital and as it is today, every morning I wake up, please help me. Please show up, give me your smile, give me your strength, because I can't make it through the day. And because I go to God with that earnest dependency and, and requirement of His grace every single day, I take that back, no, every single moment. <laughs> intimate union with Jesus Christ, so in Jeremiah 29, when God says he won't harm us, doesn't mean the body, doesn't mean our circumstances. He's not going to do anything to harm our soul. Yes, our body may get harmed, but it will somehow serve to enrich our soul. In closing, let me just say that quadriplegia, 46 years, I had breast cancer a couple of years ago, and I remember, I remember as my husband was driving me home in the van from chemotherapy one day, we were talking about how Suffering is like little splashovers of hell, kind of like waking us up out of our spiritual slumber. And then we, we pulled in the driveway and he said, well, in times where everything's going your way, are they those easy health? And we said, no way. Splashovers of heaven are finding Jesus, splashover of hell. And to find Jesus in your hell is ecstasy beyond compare and I wouldn't trade it for any amount of walking in this world.